Welcome to the Axe Church Leander podcast. Join us in person or online on Facebook at 9.30 a.m. Okay, today's reading is from uh, James chapter 5, starting with verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Y'all, we are in the final chapter of James. Five weeks we've been going through this book. Five weeks answering this question of how do we live out our faith? And I was pretty honest at the beginning of this that James is one of those books that really can just be a gut check for you. Because there's just so much in it that it's explicitly talking about how we, as Christians, are supposed to live. It's not answering the question, how do we get faith? That is through Christ and Christ alone. It's answering the question, how do we live by faith? How, how do we do this thing called life together as Christians, together as sons and daughters of God? And so we've been going through this book. But I want to be honest with you that James chapter 5, for a long time, really threw me off especially the beginning. And the reason is because most of the book of James is very applicable. It's a direct application. Do this, don't do that. But then you get to James chapter 5, and if that's what's happening, it gets not just dark. It gets very hard to apply, and I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. And it literally took me years. I had to get to seminary to figure out what was happening in James chapter 5. And the big thing to understand in that. Uh, can you click back on ProPresenter? I think I'm off the clicker. Thank you. Is that we need to learn to read the Bible literally, but as literature. Right? So oftentimes when we think about the Bible, and we're like, well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, yes, and we have to understand that different parts of the Bible are different genres of literature. And in the same way that you don't read poetry, in the same way that you would read a science textbook or a history textbook, the same thing happens with Scripture. And we've been talking a lot about in the book of James how James was a Messianic Jew. He grew up Jewish. He was actually the half-brother of Jesus. And so he had this deep Jewish faith as he came to faith in Christ. And so he reflects on the Old Testament a ton. And he uses the Old Testament tropes and genres to explain how we as Christians live. And there were three big categories of genre in the Old Testament. There's narrative, right? And this is the story of the Old Testament. This is the Genesis narrative. This is the Israel narrative, the David narrative, the exile na narrative. It's the literal historical story of what God did through his people. Genre one, narrative. Genre two is wisdom literature. That's the book of the Psalms. That's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Psalms. Job is considered wisdom literature. It's very practical, very applicable. How do we live out our lives? How do we emotionally relate to God in the Psalms? How do we grow more wise? And then the third one, and this is going to be applicable for this next section of Scripture, 
is the book of the prophets. And the prophets get a little bit confusing in American Christianity because when we think of prophets, when we think of that genre or that idea, certainly in fantasy, and you all know I love me some fantasy, right? Some Harry Potter, some Lord of the Rings. When we think about prophecy, we normally think about something that's going to happen in the future. And that is a part of the Old Testament. Certainly there was prophecy about Jesus being born of a virgin, being the Messiah who would come. But, but it was so much more than just that. Mostly what the prophets did was they looked around the world and they were God's voice for God to be able to say, this is wrong and, and this is right. The prophets spent most of their time talking to Israel and talking to the world about how the unrighteous are not living as God called them to be, and there was going to be a consequence for that. And that's how James chapter 5 starts. James is referencing a genre in the Old Testament to talk about what do we do with unrighteousness? What, what do we do when we realize there is still evil in the world? And for James and the early church, it was the rich who were exploiting, who were using their talents, their status to oppress others. And, and we still see that, but that is what James chapter 5 starts off with. So we're just going to read through this. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. It starts off dark. Right? This is not happy time, right? For your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be the evidence against you. And you will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. But behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvests have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self Indulge. I mean, this is heavy stuff, right? And so if we were going to try to directly apply this, and literally the first dozen times I read James, I was trying to figure out, okay, God, what does this mean for me? Like, am I the rich guy? Am I the broken guy? Is that what you're saying? And like, my riches? And y'all, just, just so you know, everyone in this room, historically, we are the richest nation that has ever lived. And I realize we can be hard-pressed. I realize it can be hard to pay bills. I am not... Uh, trying to dismiss that. But y'all, everyone in this room is rich compared to the rest of the world. Right? And so if that's it, man, we are in trouble. But, th but that's not what James is getting at. Instead, he is saying, y'all, God sees when people exploit other people. And he cares. And he's not done. Tim Keller uh, oh, sorry, last of James. Uh, you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. All right, Old Testament language. Put another way, this is from Tim Keller. Uh, well, hold on. There we go. The righteous in the Bible are those who disadvantage themselves to help their neighbor. The unrighteous are those who advantage themselves uh, to, uh, against their neighbor. What James is saying is, y'all, God sees when people exploit other people to, for their own gain, and he sees when the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves for others. That's Jesus, in a nutshell, the ultimate righteous one, that he would disadvantage himself for our sake, 
that he would die for our sake, that he would live for our sake, that he might help us, that we might become righteous. And so James is writing to the early church, and he's saying, God sees it. And so, y'all, there is comfort here when we see unrighteousness, when we get unsettled by what's happening in the world. For me right now, it's Ukraine. Right? That, that's what's breaking my heart. The idea that we still have war in 2022, yeah, because we're broken people, and we always will be, but that doesn't excuse it. Maybe it's Iran, and the oppression of females in Iran, and then rising up and trying to take back some level of their dignity. Or maybe it's China in, with the Ugar people, or maybe it's in the United States, because you know who the United States is full of? Sinner saints. And there is unrighteousness here. There are people who exploit others for their own advantage here. And what James chapter 5 says is, y'all, God sees it. And he's not done. And he's still coming. And he's still fighting. And we still can have hope. And it's there that James pivots back towards the more applicable, okay, so what do we do? So if there is unrighteousness, if we live in an imperfect world where people are oppressed and exploited, what do we do? Well, James gives us an answer for that. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What he does is he says, Don't be overwhelmed. He doesn't say, don't play pretend, right? He says, no, no, there is, there is evil, there is brokenness. But, but don't be overwhelmed, because God is coming. God is still moving. God still sees the brokenness, and he promises to repair it, either on this side of eternity or into the next. And so he says, be patient, because God is still coming. Acts Church Leander, when you get frustrated, when, you, when you're scared, when, when you're not sure, God is still coming. He's not done. He's still fighting for you and for yours and to see more and more become righteous in right relationship with him and for us to be in better relationship with each other as well. James goes on. So do not grumble against one another, brothers. So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Th this verse convicted me a lot this week. Because I like to grumble. I like to gripe. There's another word for it. I won't use that right now. Right? I, I, it's easy. Right? Why, why is this person that way? Why is this person this way? Why, why can't they do this? Right? And, and this is an echo back to chapter 4. Again, this book is all about relationships, how we do, how we live in right relationship with one another, how we have righteousness with one another. And it's not grumbling. It's not arguing with one another. Uh, click back on. There we go. Right? It, when we grumble against our neighbor, it, it's poison to the relationship. It's always poison to the relationship. And our God only cares about relationship. That, that's what this whole thing is about, right? Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. But grumbling, just that those little seeds, it becomes battery acid. And it starts to slowly but surely 
break that relationship down. And so James writes to the early church and he says, guys, God has better for you. God wants better for your relationships. He wants more for you. And part of that is just realizing grumbling isn't going to get us where we want to go. He goes on. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. For you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job is an interesting one. <laughs> I mean, that is the most extreme version of being patient on the uh, Lord. Right? So Job is considered wisdom literature. It's not considered part of the narrative arc of Israel. We actually don't know where it fits in the narrative. We don't know what the timeline is. And so ancient Jewish people, in fact, Christianity today still considers Job more about the wisdom than the actual narrative of it. And what's the story? It's of a righteous man, someone who is in right relationship with God, who's in right relationship with his kids and his neighbors and his community, and literally then all hell breaks loose. Right? Job's story is one where he loses almost everything. He, he loses his job, his finances, he loses children, he loses his health. It, it all breaks down. And what we have, as the reader of the story, we realize God's not done yet. God's doing something through that hurt, through that pain. But man, when we are in it, it is hard. I was, I was talking to a, a mom uh, earlier, and the question, what was it hard to be patient on? And she said, answers. So what do you mean answers? And she said, oh, I, I lost a baby. And it took a long time for me to figure out what God was up to. And she still wasn't like, I perfectly understand why it happened. But she's like, as time went on, I, I saw what God was doing, and, and, and I believe in this God who was still merciful and compassionate that he's not done yet. And then that's the story of Job, that even through these trials, even through these persecutions, that we can trust in the character of our God. And, and that, that's, that's really all we get to trust in. And, and do you know how you find character? If you're a writer, and this is, this is just something I've learned from writing, the way how you tell the audience the character of someone, isn't by me telling you he was a good man. That means nothing. And in fact, if you're watching a movie and it starts off where there is a character who's just doing all the right things, get ready because it's a wind-up for them to suddenly do something really bad. Because character isn't defined by what we say about someone. Character is defined by what they do. And so when it comes to Jesus and his character, we define him by what he did. And what is the ultimate expression of the character of God? Jesus saying, I love you this much. Jesus saying, I will die for you. I, I will suffer for you. I will be humiliated to have a relationship with you. And in that moment, we see the character of God. We see the compassion and the mercy. And we can then trust if God is willing to go to this length to have a relationship with me, to make me righteous, to make you righteous, I can trust in that character that even in this suffering, even in the unanswered questions, even in the lab results that they don't come back the way we're hoping they do, I can trust in God. 
That's, that's the hope. That's the patience. That's what James is calling the early church to live with. Then he continues on. But above all, brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or under any oath, but simply let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is echoing back to the previous chapter where James is talking about making plans, right? And James tells the church, stop trying to make plans and declaring them as absolute truth. I'm going to build this business. This is going to happen with my health. Instead, he says, take every day as it comes, and literally in James chapter 4, and say, if it's the Lord's will, I will do this or that. This is the same issue. I swear by God, I will never sin like this again. Don't. No. I swear, I am declaring this over you. You are going to have this. No. Let your yes be yes and your no be no because he's God and we're not. And so learning and being okay with that and just saying, you know what, God, you're in control. I'm going to let you, like Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel. Right? You're the one who's going to hold on. And I'm going to do my best faithfully day in, day out to live in right relationship with you and right relationship with each other. Continues on. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any among you cheerful? Let him sing songs of praise. Y'all, I love this because what James says is bring all of it to God. When you have those awesome weeks where you hit all your sales goals and you ace every single test or you make varsity, bring it to God. Bring him all of it. Sing songs of praise. Celebrate with him. Celebrate with the people around you. And when it's hard, when, when you don't get the A, when you don't get accepted into a school, when the house falls through or the rain falls through the house, bring that to God too. He allows us not to play pretend but to bring all of our lives to a God who cares. And not just with him, but with each other as well. And then James continues. This is just being all kinds of funky today. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with uh, oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, I do want to be a little bit careful here, right? Because we are called to lift each other up. And prayer works, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, right? So this is not a name it and declare it, right? God is going to heal every single infirmity that happens. We, we just learned, no, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Lord, if it is your will, we're asking you to do something. And yet, the flip side of that is we're not just here by ourselves. That God puts us together to pray for one another. Huge plug into the prayer team. We want to be praying for you. We want to be a church of prayer. And not only that, do you guys know that if you are a member of this church, you have an elder now? We've literally divided the entire church up into households. And the heart of that is, y'all, I want to be all of your pastors. Like, I, I want to pray with you. I want to care for you. But I want you to have more than just me. 
I want there to be a body of Christ that is raising their hands up in prayer for you and your family in the times of strength and the times of challenge. Right? And so you have an elder now. And if you come to the welcome to the family, you will get an elder then. We would love to be praying for you, to be connecting with you, because it's scriptural, and it's what our God calls us to do. All right, let's try the next slide. And if you have committed sins, he will be, and if anyone among you has committed sins, he will also be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. You can go to the next slide. If you ever wonder why we as a church confess sins every week, because right? not every church does this. If you're from a Lutheran background, you're, you're familiar with it. If you're from a Catholic background, for sure. But, but a lot of non-denominational churches, a lot of Baptist churches, it's not in their regular rhythm to publicly confess sins. And this is not a slam on them. God works through and often in spite of every church, including this one. But, but the reason why we do it is because sin infects every aspect of our lives, our physical, our spiritual, our mental, our emotional. It just destroys relationships. And what James says is, y'all, build into a rhythm to be honest and saying, I am still a sinner saint. I am still wrestling with my relationships with other people. I am still wrestling with my relationship with God, and I'm still broken. And he says, confess your sins for one another that you may be forgiven, that you may be cleansed, that that acid in relationships, either with each other or with God, can be forgiven, and that we can draw closer to each other. Again, this book is all about relationships. God wants you to have a good relationship with him and with each other, and part of that is asking for forgiveness, both publicly as a church, but then also privately, to be able to realize that when we fall short in a relationship, to go to that person and say, you know what, I shouldn't have said that. Please forgive me. When I acted that way, when I made a fuss over this issue, to be able to have a posture that we can ask forgiveness, receive forgiveness, that relationships can be restored. Let's go to that next slide. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And then for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Y'all, prayer works. Next slide. So we've got to use it, all right? Um, we have the God of the universe who is willing to listen to you, who's willing to listen to me, and not just listen, right? Not just when I'm kind of griping or grumbling, right? But like, he as our father cares, just like you as parents or siblings when someone comes to you in pain or hurting and they want you to hear them, you care. So does God. The difference being, though, God can actually change it. God can actually change reality when his kids call out in prayer. And again, that doesn't mean we're going to get everything we want. It doesn't mean that life's going to be perfect or easy, but it means that we have a God who says, I am not just inviting you, I want you to bring all of your hurt, all of your questions, all of it to me. And as you do, it's going to help shape reality. It's going to help shape reality for your friends, for your family, for your community. It's going to help shape reality for countries and nations at war. 
we have this awesome, unique access to God of the universe. And so often as Christians, we can trivialize it. So often as a pastor, I can trivialize it. And James says, remember the narrative. Elijah, he prayed, and for three and a half, you thought we had a bad drought this summer? Right, about three months? Three and a half years. And then he prayed, and God turned back on the sprinkler. Right? Prayer works, use it. Uh, next slide. And my brothers, if any of you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. Next slide. We're called to look after one another. Again, this book is all about relationships. It's all about healthy relationships. And when those who are outside of those healthy relationships, we're not called to come in with judgment. We're not called to come in and be like, wow, you really mucked up. Good luck dealing with that. But instead, in love and grace, to help remind those that God has placed in our life, that they have a God who loves them, that a God who specializes, and as we get closer to Christmas, the island of the misfit toys. Y'all, we're all the island of misfit toys. The toys that don't work quite the right way, that's all of us. And we've gotten specializes in toys and people just like that. And so he calls us to help remind others and encourage others with a posture of love, but also, as we learn in James, sometimes a posture of firmness where we have to exhort. We have, we have to sometimes call out the brokenness that they, that they may be drawn back in. Which then brings us to the... Uh, oh no, that's actually it. Sorry, I've got a... The, the slides have been weird today. Um, so that's the book of James, y'all. Uh, again, I would recommend reading this at least once a year. For me, it's just a short book that, again, tons of gut checks, tons of like, oh, that one, oh, that one, right there, right? But in a good way. And the same how when we work out, it can be hard, it, it can be tense. We don't always feel good immediately afterwards, and yet through that, our body was meant to move. So we move. Our spiritual life was meant to be alive, and the book of James is a great opportunity to be able to let God shape and mold, encourage and challenge how we think about him and how we think about each other. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to pray. We're going to confess our sins. Uh, and then we're going to move into a time of communion. But before then, please pray with me. God, you're good. God, thank you for writing, James. Lord, thank you for the writer, James. Lord, and thank you for being a God who not only forgives us, not only has redeemed us, but is willing to lean into the hard, challenging, broken, sinful aspects of our life. Lord, the places that our relationship with you or our relationship with each other doesn't reflect what you're trying to do. Lord God, we confess that we still are the sinner side of the sinner saint. Lord, that often our words grumble. Lord, that we will pay tribute to you with our mouth, but then we will condemn or belittle someone made in your image. Lord, we confess in James chapter 4, Lord, often the good that we know we're supposed to do, we don't. 
either through laziness or through fear. Lord God, we admit that we still need the book of James. Lord, but we are bold, to be honest, because you are a God who specializes in forgiveness. Lord, that you promise that when we confess our sins, you forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all broken relationships. And so, Father, Lord, we are absolved, we are loved, and we continue to seek you in both word and deed. Yes, all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about our church at actschurchleander.com.